0: And, and so many of us base our identity in things that change. The one thing that never changes is the rock solid truth of who God is and what he
1: says to be true about me. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Daniel Henderson, the author of The Deeper Life, Satisfying the Eight Vital Longings of Your Soul. As You'll soon hear my co-host, John Ramstead was so impacted by this book that he gives a copy of it to all of his executive coaching clients. Now, John and I sat down with Daniel recently to talk about the book. So if you know anyone that has a longing in their soul for something deeper, be sure to send this episode to them. Many smartphone podcasting apps have the ability to send an episode via text, email, Facebook, or Twitter. And in the case of the podcast app that's native to iPhone and iPad, on this episode, just click the share button in the top right corner. It's that box with the little arrow pointing up. Here's how John and I started that conversation with Daniel Henderson on this episode of Eternal Leadership.
2: This morning, I want to welcome to the show Daniel Henderson, Uh, Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us.
0: Thank you, John. Great to be with you today.
2: So, Steve, as you know, that as I've gone through this journey the last three years, which has been a really powerful transformation in my life. Yes. And I have had a pull together. uh, I had a coach from the Halftime Institute. I had a spiritual Mm -hmm. development coach, uh, a man named Michael Fow, who introduced me to Daniel. And uh, it was just a deep journey to really, you know, understand who I was and how God created me. And what does that mean as a leader, as a business person, as a husband, as a father? And Daniel, I got to tell you, Michael recommended your book to me. It's called The Deeper Life, Satisfying the Eight Vital Longings of Your Soul. Daniel, I got to tell you, this is one of the most powerful books that I've read. And I see, you know, as I read this book, it completely paralleled everything that i kind of had to find out on myself and and pull together on myself on, on this journey that i've been on and i would love for you to just share just a little bit about your background and how this book came to
0: life oh thank you john yeah i spent most of my life in pastoral ministry and um for most of those years in california for a few years in minnesota And as I counseled people, as I worked with business leaders, uh, you know, just shepherding all kinds of folks in the church, I found out that we all were asking the same questions and struggling with the same issues deep down inside. But it, it just seemed like, I described this in the book, like a jigsaw puzzle where you just couldn't get the pieces to fit together. You know, you had to do it, but it didn't make sense. And it was really my own journey, John, as I began to think about these vital issues of the soul. Uh, that I wanted to get specific answers to. I remember Rick Warren saying thoughts tend to disentangle themselves as they cross over the lips and through the fingertips, you know. So (laughs) I knew if I could figure out a way to, to think clearly, specifically, and write out answers to these questions, it would be transformational for me. And again, Warren says nothing's dynamic till it's specific. And so it really was my journey. I preached it in my church in California and how it became a book is that there was a West Coast news editor for Christianity Today in my church who said, I'd love to help you put that into writing. And she did. And since then, it's uh, really been a blessing. Really, thousands all across the world translated in about 14 languages. Because I think, like you said, John, we read it and we say, yeah, that that's what I've been trying to figure out and hopefully puts it together in a way that works.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting, Daniel, when I uh, started with the coach that I was working with, my the reason I went to and hired somebody is actually to pull together after going through this accident recovery that I had, you know, who was I, you know, what was I, why am I here? What was I meant to do? And, uh, my coach asked me a question, he goes, instead of looking at yourself about who are you, he said, who did God create you to be? And there's a quote you have here early on in your book, a healthy self image is seeing yourself as God sees you no more, no less. For me, that right. I got to tell you, trying you know shifting from looking in the mirror and seeing, you know who I thought I was and my masks and uh-huh. all my layers to how God perceived me, uh, was a, a process that you talk about in here and you, you la- really label it under identity and our identity in God and as a person. Could you? I would love for you to maybe start there and just share about that whole concept and how people get in touch with, you know who they are and as God sees them.
0: Yeah, it's a great question, John. Yeah. And, and the way you you phrased yeah. it there, as God sees us, no more, no less, has to be rooted first of all in knowing who God is. You know, you could ask me, you know, President Obama's opinion on something. Unless I'm really reading the news, I wouldn't know the answer because I don't know him personally, right? Right. Uh, you could ask me uh, Putin's answer on something. I don't know him personally. And to find out what God thinks about you, you got to know God. And that's why we root that question so importantly in your theology. I, I quote the, uh, the great philosopher Lily Tomlin in the book who said, <laughs> you know, I, I always wanted to be someone. I should have just been more specific, right? And uh, we all, we all want to be somebody. We just don't know how to get specific. And as you said, that speci- specificity doesn't come by looking just at the man in the mirror. That may be a helpful exercise. But it's got to be rooted, first and foremost, in a knowledge of the one who created you for a purpose. And that creator has revealed himself to us and his opinion about us to us. And that's why our identity has to really start there.
2: So when you say start there, uh, help us through that. How would you help somebody start yeah. with that?
0: So, you know, a lot's been written, uh, Steve John, as you know, about purpose Mm-hmm. Um, quite a bit more of late about identity because so many people struggle with insecurity that drives them into all kinds of uh, ditches. But really, it has to start with theology. That's why in the book, the first question is, who is God? And, mm-hmm. you know, John, you referenced your crisis. And I talk about this in the book. I was I'm really captured by the Apostle Paul and the story in Acts chapter 9 where Jesus confronts him. You know, he has a crisis of his own in a sense. He's struck blind, right. and he real he realizes here's Jesus. And you know what he does instinctively? He asks two questions. Uh, in in what we call the majority text, the King James version, they're they're played out this way. The first thing he says is, "Who are you, Lord?" And the second question he asks is, "What do you want me to do?" Well, man, I don't know a person in the world that doesn't need to come really to a conclusion about those two questions we insert in the book in between those two, who are you Lord? And what do you want me to do? The question is, who am I? And interestingly enough, again, Saul's whole identity changed, you know, from that point on his name changed, his mission changed, but everything came out of a new confrontation of an understanding of who God was through Christ. And I think that's where it has to start with all of us. Uh, John, we were talking about this quote by A.W. Tozer, uh, who said the most important thing about a person And if we paused right there and the audience filled in the blank, we would get a whole variety of answers, wouldn't we? It might be their net worth. It might be their self-worth. It might be where they live, their family, the team they cheer for, you know, in the Super Bowl, whatever the case is. But Tozer said the most important thing on a person is what comes to mind when they think about God. And I think every flawed sense of identity, purpose, values, priorities, the way this book unfolds is all rooted in um, our view of God. And it's got to be biblical and accurate.
2: So, Daniel, when you think of God, what comes to mind?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you think about God, there is such an ocean of truth, right? And you're trying to cram it into a thimble of understanding, which is my little pea brain, right? Right. Uh, But uh, so we we go through these exercises in the book. And as you know, John, you know, really the back third of the book is nothing but but, uh, really applicational exercises. And so for me, I had to go through and I heard someone tell me one time, it was so helpful, that the key to knowing God's will is to learn to trust your great moments. Again, we think God's will is maybe a document or an idea. God's will is his desire for us. I believe in all of our lives, John, to take all this great truth about God and to, to really distill it down into a working experience that's daily and something we can renew our minds in. we got to look back and say, how has God worked in my life in the past, and what did he reveal to me about himself? Because he did that for a reason. He's putting that as his fingerprint on my journey. So every day I can remember God is this, God is that, et cetera. And I think also, John, we took people through an exercise in the book of identifying what are my struggles? And some of it may be depression. It may be fear. It may be anxiety. What truth about God addresses those issues? So for me, I have a personal theology statement. It's in the book there. And it begins with my God as creator. And you say, well, so What? so all of my life has divine design and spiritual purpose. Man, that's a game changer. Nothing is by accident today. When you had your accident, John, uh instinctively you knew in your soul God has created me. So there is nothing that's random in my life, right? But that's rooted in a belief that you have a God who is a creator. And I go on to talk about God is sovereign, he's good, he's just, he's loving. And I extracted about 10, 12 truths about God that I renew my mind in every day and say to myself, what is the so what to that truth, and how is it going to change the way I live?
2: So, you know, a question comes to mind, Daniel. You know, if you accept that, uh, how how do you work with people as they go through things in life that are just really hard, challenging, sicknesses, death, you know, business failures? I mean, I mean, there's just so much in this life, but if this is – is it God's plan, you know, or in Romans eight twenty eight, he says all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Is it just this world is in motion, but if we trust him through every, anything that might happen, he's, he can pull it together for something that has value.
0: Yeah. You know, John, your testimony would, would explain this, as would mine, in different ways. But in crisis and in the trials of daily life, we have a choice what we're going to believe. Everybody's going to believe something in that moment. And um, you and I were talking about a church experience we'd shared in the past that was challenging. But uh, my first pastoral ministry uh, was a very difficult situation. A, a pastor yeah. who had had a moral failure, a church that was embroiled in a $25 million lawsuit. And we all know hurting people hurt others, right? So when you're yeah. the next pastor in, you get to field a whole lot of junk. And yeah. I was young at that time. And I remember going through those days thinking, I am out, man. I am not going to do ministry. This is crazy. I'll go get a real job, make real money, and give a tithe to some other guy. You know. But uh, in the middle of all that, it hit me. Okay, Dan, you're going to choose what you believe. You're either going to believe what you're feeling or what you're seeing or what you know to be true. And at the time, and hopefully this will relate to the listeners, at the time, I was feeling this is bad. And some people listening right now, that's how they feel about life right now. This is bad. And I'm looking at it, and I said, this looks bad. But what I know to be true is God's good. This feels out of control, looks out of control, but God's sovereign. And this feels unfair and looks unfair, but God is just. That was the practical reality for me in my life. I had to come to the point, and I do it every day, you got to choose what you're going to believe. You can believe what you feel, what you see with your eyes, or what you know to be true. That's why having this This personal theology statement at immediate access to your mind and your heart is so powerful every day.
2: You know, it just makes me think, you know, when you're in that spot, I'm sure that that was a very negative situation, Yeah. you know, the people that were around you. What, you know, as you move through that, um, how did you, you know, you you said, hey, I might have bailed, I could have gone to business, and you absolutely have the leadership skills to do anything you want. You know what pulled you back as you, you know, got closer to that identity you talked about, but more to, you know, why did why are you here and what do you do with that? How did yeah. you connect with that piece?
0: Well, again, if God is who he says he is, then I can rest in who he says I am. And that's again where that identity piece comes in, you know, that and a little phrase that's in the book that came out of those days is, you know, we're all either searching for trying to prove or confidently living out our identity. And, you know, I think the Lord has to peel back all the things that we are basing our identity on so we get down to the core. And, you know, sometimes we're searching for an identity, trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to prove an identity, prove our mom wrong or our dad wrong or that boss wrong. We're not as bad as they think we are or whatever the case is. Or just living out in confidence the identity of who God says we are. And that really is what I had to come to is, is Lord, you know, I I cannot base my identity on anything that changes. And John, you know, your health can change. Uh, your, your financial status can change. Your family can change. Look at Job. I mean, in one instant, he loses everything. Um, and, and so many of us base our identity in things that change. The one thing that never changes is the rock solid truth of who God is And what he says to be true about me.
2: And just in my own experience, you know, that level of, you know, identifying yourself or or getting your identity of who you are from God is a very mature spiritual place. (laughs) And, you know, a place where I've been many times, right? My identity is coming from what people are saying about me in the community. What, you know, uh, what just happened uh, here, uh, how I did in business, right? How... As people are on kind of that continuum as they mature in that relationship with God, how do they yeah. move that identity from being given, given to them from the world and what they yeah. think of them, right? There's a lot of business leaders I know that struggle with fear of failure. And, yeah. and the root of that is they don't want to be seen poorly by their peers and people they're on boards with and things like that. They're, exactly. A fear that's so deep it paralyzes them. Yep. And how do you move from that place to th- this place of identity in God, which is really the foundational piece to really get some velocity in your life moving forward toward this yeah. deeper life you talk about?
0: Exactly. So, you know, what I did, John, and what we encourage readers to do in the Deeper Life book is to actually look at the scripture and what does God say to be true about me and their exercise to help them do that. and And how can I clarify that? And, and, you know, John, having read the book, you'll know this, the the common thread through this entire book, whether you're new in Christ, whether you're mature in Christ, whether you're a clergyman or a businessman or homemaker, is that the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily. And you know you, you could be soaring in the glory of who you are in Christ yesterday, and then today you read a news report about yourself, and you're back in the tank. You know, or or you you look up your uh, you know retirement accounts, and the bottom's falling out. Literally, I encourage people: you need to write out your identity from the standpoint of what God says to be true about you, memorize it, and be able to quote it every day. Personally, John, in my life, I have to remind myself who I am constantly. Because you know how it is every day. I mean, the input from people, the input from your own emotions, which are very fallen and, and misinformed sometimes, uh, the input, input of circumstances. And so my identity statement is I, Daniel D. Henderson, am a new creature in Jesus Christ, fully loved, totally accepted, completely powered child of the most high, most holy God. And I've been created by his amazing grace for a life of good works and God's glory. So that's a long one, isn't it? Someone, the matter long or short is The key is do you own it? Again, do you renew your mind every day in the truth of who you are according to God's creation, which Colossians two talks about? And I think that's where the battle is won or lost, no matter who you are.
2: You know, that's interesting. This kind of what you're talking about is really living in the present. The one of the guys we had on the the podcast, our, our last podcast episode, was talking about how he's really developed this: is living in day tight compartments, living in the present, yeah. and having God part of that every day. Yeah. Um, and i just think that's uh interesting that this theme is coming up because you know you need to take that though that's the foundation right so now i want to start right. building this this house my house that serves my family and my community and my walk with god and that leads to really taking that into discovering my purpose and i would could you share uh what you did in the book about what it takes to to find that and connect to that yeah, I think a lot of people really struggle with whatever you want to call it—purpose, calling.
0: Yeah, mission. Yeah, a lot of hmm. different uh, synonyms that are used. Um, you know, I, I basically believe that as a Christian, um, we are as He is in this world. That's what the New Testament says. You know, our our real mission is to to live the life and the mission of Jesus Christ. One of the things I did, John, is I went back and I I studied all of Jesus' mission statements. If I am a new creature in Christ, I am in this world as he is, then I want to make sure my mission is parallel with his mission because that's why he's left me here, right? We all know this. I mean, the only reason we didn't get beamed up when we became a Christian uh, because, you know, we know our worship, our knowledge, our relationships would all be better in heaven. That's all pretty flawed down here on earth is because he left us here on mission. You know, uh, we are on a search and rescue mission. Uh, and that's, that's where my understanding of purpose really began to germinate. I, I've got to understand what was Christ's mission and that what does that look like for me? Now, not to complicate this, John, but that goes back to who I am, right? So the convergence of the uniqueness of who I am, what my identity is, and part of that, John, as you know, is understanding our spiritual gifts and our unique personality as part of identity converged with Christ's mission. And when I put that together, I have a, I have a compelling why for every day. You know, again, it was Nietzsche who said, he who has a why can bear with almost any how. And, and if you have the why, the reason behind your life, uh, and it's an expression of who you are in Christ, I believe for every believer, again, with a mind toward reminding yourself daily about that, can really stay on mission.
2: You know, as you're talking, I I just think of many conversations I've had with business leaders who don't understand or or, or they, uh, uh, it's hard for them to link a mission in Christ to what they're doing every day in business, in the community, uh, in, in, in a lot of churches have, have not, have kind of fostered that. So what would you share with somebody who's a business leader, who wants to pull the secular and the sacred together and integrate that, converge that in their life. Yeah. You know, how, well, how, how all, do they reconcile that and then in, in, in just move forward? Cause I think that yeah. gets a lot of
0: people stuck. I agree. Yeah. First of all, I think it's all sacred and you might expect me to say that. I mean, well, whatever you agree with you, I agree. Is, yeah. With it's all sacred. So first of all, they got to get rid of that dichotomy, right? Yeah. Uh, and what makes it sacred is who I am in Christ. And he's given me employment, gainful employment, but my mission has to be certainly discreetly and wisely embedded in all of that, you know. So first of all, you got to take away that dichotomy. Secondly, I think you got to do what we talked about. You got to get real specific. It's not that Christ doesn't want you on mission in your business. It's just that you haven't discovered and renewed your mind in that consistently enough to understand how it can be integrated, right? What is that? Could
2: you could you share a little bit more about that point?
0: Yeah, so I'll tell you my mission statement. It's a little bit pithy. But my mission statement is um, to faithfully, uh, I'm sorry, to faithfully experience and fruitfully express. I know it sounds like preacher-esque, but it works for me, all right? To faithfully experience and and fruitfully express the life of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So pause right there. Hmm. Could that be a businessman's statement? Sure could. To fully experience and faithfully express Christ. And now how he's going to format that may be different. Mine goes on to say, leading to fresh encounters of his person and presence among the saved and the lost. And so really my job, my, my mission is to represent Christ at every opportunity coming out of a, a personal experience of him on a daily basis. Now, how's that going to play out on, you know, in an email, on the phone, uh, in a board meeting, you know, that, that becomes the real thought. But if it's not on your mind, while you're sitting in that boardroom, you're not going to live it out, right? And that's why I say, again, it's so daily, and you got to have it down. you got to have specific. It's got to be a, a part of a daily renewal plan. Uh, one of my board members, John, who's an executive with Under Armour, uh, he's real big on what you call an industry a business continuity plan. And I'm probably most of right. your listeners understand that, yep. uh, that if, if things fall apart, you know, if the world goes to, you know, to into to hell in a handbasket, as we say, what's our plan? He realized as he went through this process and now he's one of our coaches, he got so fired up about it. He says, I didn't have a life continuity plan. But wh- what is my, you know, backup plan? What's my fundamental approach when life goes up kaput? And by the way, that can happen any minute of every day. You know, that's not yeah, just nine eleven. That's, yeah, that's next hour, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's why this is such a vital process. This is my life continuity plan, whether in business or in ministry or a homemaker. what What is the continuity plan of my daily life that's going to be immediate and accessible and is going to be a powerful source of renewal? Uh, and of course, your mission, as we've been talking, is a vital part of that if you don't know it you can't live it and and if you haven't gotten specific it's going to be really hard to know it
2: well you know a question for me it just makes me think of this you know urgency addiction that everybody in business seems to have and how yeah. uh you know y- you talk about that we're so busy doing we don't think about mm-hmm. our doing mhm right and what what does yep. it take for somebody to cuz it seems counterintuitive though but you know to just slow down and actually get connected with this mission and I think the next step that's hard it was hard for me, somebody me to speak about that was connect that once I understood who I was uh, and what God wanted me to do, is then integrate that in my life through my priorities and my values. And that step for me was a very long and challenging because it, it required a lot of change. Yeah so how, how do you think about that? How do, you, how do you walk people through that part of the process?
0: You bet. Thanks, John. And of course, you know, as the book uh, puts all this in sequence, you know, it's, it's my theology out of my theology. I shape my identity out of my identity. I discover purpose. That's the foundation. But now I got to do something, right? I got to live life. And that's why I subscribe to the fact that values come in. I call those the rules of the game. And I illustrate this in the book. I think we all relate to this playing monopoly with people who had who grew up with a different set of rules, you know, about, you know, how many buildings you can build and how quick and how much money goes in the middle. And, right. you know, it's hard to play a game with people who have a different set of rules. And I would say the game of life is too important not to know the rules. And that's where we've got to decide Now, what are the guiding values going to be as I'm living out this purpose Um And so I'm a sports fan. Probably you are too. You know, if you don't know where the hash marks are and where the goalpost is and, and you know, whether you can or can't run certain plays, you're not going to win the game. And so that's why we really encourage people to figure out what your values, your core principles are going to be as you're implementing this purpose. And then, you know, the rubber hits the road, John, you already mentioned it. I think with priorities, um, those that's, that's now I got to do something, but I can't do everything and I can't please everybody. So i got to figure out what can only I do to ultimately honor my values and express my mission I often say to pastors because I speak to pastors a lot you know the devil doesn't have to destroy you all he has to do is distract you mm. and uh, if he can do that he and and we live in a society of mass distraction as we know you know right, right now as we sit here, uh, thousands of people want access to us I mean we're on this call but Facebook, you know, I don't know how many friends you got, how many Twitter followers you have, you know, how many emails come in. Everybody wants your attention. And uh, I I really believe that this whole process is so vital, especially today that's so frenetic, so noisy, so distracting, to come back to, as we said earlier, your life continuity plan and to remind yourself every day what these core issues are. I've actually recorded mine on, on my iPod, John, and every day I wake up talking to myself. Uh, Hopefully in a good way, right? But my God is. I am. I'm here for this purpose. My values are. My priorities are. And, you know, I say in the book, John, that um, uh, education is like planting grains of truth in people's minds that form such an irritation that over time they form pearls of wisdom. Right. And as you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh man, I got to figure out my theology, my identity, my purpose. Yeah, that's irritating intentionally because it's supposed to form pearls of wisdom that you can live out every day. But it is a game changer. It really is.
2: Well, you have to work through it. So, you know, defining priorities, putting these into place, but having them ingrained in who you are where they now guide the decisions you make, what's on your calendar. Uh, yeah, You know, I, everybody I work with who it's a constant theme, right? Work-life balance. Yep. And I, I think the root cause of this is people are not connected with who they are and what their priorities are. And then they just they allow anything to go on their calendar that they think might have some kind of benefit or they think they should do it. They have no filter on what to say no to.
0: Yeah, that's so how, exactly right.
2: So how do you go about even getting started on that process? Because I think for a lot of people, that just sounds even like a daunting process to even <laughs> put that on, you know, pen to paper on that subject.
0: It is, yeah. And it, again, in the book, we give people some guideposts for beginning to write their priorities out. And, and here's where it gets really a little bit hairy. You, you've, got, you've got areas of life that demand clear priorities. You know, you, you, as a dad, what are my priorities going to be as a mom? As a business leader, you know, uh, as a spouse, so so it, it, you you start digging down deep, and you realize this is a big deal. But I, I do think um, that to define priorities, uh, John, there are a number of things that I think are so vital. And as a pastor, you know, really, a pastor business, it's the same deal. Everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants you to go make a visit, do a, you know, go check in someone in the hospital, do Spend a time with you
2: or have coffee. Yeah, or wanna... you
0: just you can't do it all, can you? No. And so, you know, you have to ask, number one, what has God uniquely designed me to be effective at? That's where identity is so vital, right? Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, what is it that only I can do? Obviously, in pastoral ministry, I was able to go to the scripture and say, and what are what does God say pastors are supposed to do? Um, what is going to be the most eternally significant? Uh, com- what are going to be the most eternally significant commitments that I make that really are going to change people's lives? And... Um, you know what what is is really the best stewardship of my time and so you got to ask those questions and again you got to be specific i work with, with pastors and business leaders often john and this is really where it comes down to have you written out your priorities have you shared them with your staff have you shared them with your family when i was a pastor i shared them with my board regularly um, i shared them with my my congregation because if they're not clear, you can't communicate them. Once you communicate them, you have two things. You have accountability, but you also have support. Don't you, you have people who can understand how, how they can help support those priorities. And so it's not just a solo journey. And, um, I know John had helped me as a pastor when, you know, I joke about Tommy tiddly weeks coming by the office, wanting me to go grab a burger, you know, at, uh, at Culver's or whatever the case is, you know, well, you know, I love Tommy, but, you know, you know, I mean, you're in a church. I got thousands of people I got to preach to on Sunday, you know. and That's true, but how do so, you
2: turn down Culver's?
0: <laughs> Come on now. I, well, I told Tommy, can you get me a custard to go and just bring it back? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's all kinds of people who love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. You, you just, you have to go by the priorities that you've clarified, communicated And ask the people around you to understand, I'm I'm doing this for your good. Because if I'm on task with my priorities, I'm going to serve you better. We're all going to be much more effective. And if it's a business, it's the same idea. You know, our our ultimate aims in business are going to be more effective. If I get distracted and diluted, you know, it's going to create an environment where all of us get distracted and diluted and nobody's going to win.
2: Well, you know, it's making me think about, you know, as a a business owner... When I come up with our priorities as a company, our values of our culture, our thematic or strategic goals, yeah, I share that with my board, with my executive team, with our investors, with our clients, our customers, so to speak, and uh, it's out there. They hold me accountable because I'm communicating that, and they also, my team, provide support. What you're talking about is bringing that down to a personal level. Exactly. So, what I would challenge people to do who are listening to this is just think about what resources you have in your life. Is it maybe you just have one person that you would feel comfortable sharing that with? Maybe it's a, a group of men or women who you're with. But, you know, even if it's just the beginnings of this, uh, mm-hmm. some of the things Daniel's talking about, start sharing with others, pull other people into this process with you. That's what I was able to do. Exactly, and you know what that led to me to you know to be able to start putting all this together, because what I think what happens next as we kind of go through this continuum, uh, which I love how your book lines up with kind of what I went through myself right <laughs> once you know uh, Bill bright uh talks about that every soul is precious to God, but not every Christian is strategic, right yeah, yeah, so what that means is we can be saved, but it, but we could live a life of no impact and still be saved, or we could live a life of just significant, supernatural, eternal impact. So it's about a choice of what we want to do. How do we put all this into place? And, you know, when I uh, was at my accident, Daniel, there was a point where uh, I remember hearing the surgeon before a brain surgery that I had to have tell my wife that Mm -hmm. I I probably wouldn't make it. And I was laying there in my hospital bed and... um, I want to quote our, our mutual friend Michael Fow, who you have here in your book and yeah. you know this is what you quoted him saying is um, something I've noticed over and over in my work is this the longing of every heart is did I matter does my yeah. life make a difference some are even so bold to ask how will the world be different because I was be here let's be bold and human and honest we want the world to be a different uh, because we were part of it and you know mm-hmm. that's what I was revealed at that moment, the sum total of my life, I I didn't feel rose to the level of the difference that I wanted to make, because you speak in your yeah. book, and I, I quote this all the time, by the way, <laughs> is that <laughs> well, you, know, an, you an inheritance is something you leave to someone. I knew if I died there, my kids, my family would be fine, but a legacy is what you leave in somebody, and that's what I was thinking about. What did I leave in my wife, in my children, in the relationships of friends around me? So... Could you bring us from this point and kind of pull things together about how do we put all this into place and kind of shift our mindset on how do we move and be an impact player with our life? That's a
0: great, great question. So, just to review for the listeners, because you and I have the book and we understand all this, it starts with my theology. Out of my theology, I discover identity. identity. I can begin to find purpose. Purpose is guided by values, it's implemented by priorities. We didn't talk about these two elements, of course, but it's obvious to everyone. These priorities are going to be implemented through goals, which are the accountable pathways that accomplish those priorities, right? Okay, yeah. And then my time. Uh, I call time, you know, the, the uh, faithful stewardship of life. And uh, one of the things in the book we talk about just briefly, John, is the difference between Kairos and Kronos. Mm -hmm. I think in God's economy, a lot more about Kairos, which are the moments that God brings into your life. And if this whole thing's integrated, and that's what I call integrity of life, where all these pieces fit together, you're going to see these opportunities connected to your goals, your priorities, your values, etc. And then, as you said, that all leads to a life of of legacy. Um, To be honest, when I first wrote this book, I only had seven questions. It ended with time. And I thought, no, it doesn't end with time it ends with the end, right? (laughs) It ends with looking back on your life and realizing that because I lived so intentionally and because I integrated these vital questions together in a daily renewal process, what difference is it going to make in someone's life, right? And so I'll take an example, John, the issue of values. I remember when my kids were born, I thought, man, I got these screaming memes here, you know, and they're they're in my stewardship (laughs) for 18 years, you know, and they're going to walk out the door here. before God help me. Yeah. And I thought, what do I want them to remember? Right. And then I thought, well, I don't know. What, What do I need to remember? And that's where I started digging into values. Well, again, whether it's values or priorities, whatever the case is, if you don't clarify them and consistently renew your mind in these things and then as a result, live them out. You're not going to pass them on to anyone, right? Well, I and think so also really if you is. don't
2: if you don't clarify them, they're going to be given to you by the world. Yeah, right. They're the values that you think you should have because I'm getting my identity from the world, right? And, uh, and if I want to have approval from the world, there are certain values that where I'm getting my identity from. It's important to them, and that exactly. could be in, in this. I'm speaking for myself personally, uh, but that is where I was. So what happens is that that set of values was really in conflict with what I discovered was my true core values as I really went through this process. Yeah, And for me to shed that and shed that sense of identity, ripping the band aid off, but I got to tell you on the other <laughs> side of that is a place that really opens your mind to, uh, infinite possibilities.
0: It really does. Yeah. And, uh, Again, we're all going to be marching to some beat, like you say, and the world's got plenty of speakers out there for us to, to dial into. And so, I, you know, John, you know I know that people listening right now are, as Michael said, just desperate to want to live a life of significance. And it's not, I mean, it's not a mystery. Mm-hmm. All of these uh, questions are instinctive to every one of our souls. And the great news is the answers in the book. You know, it's in the owner's manual. And so my desire in this book and, and uh, as a pastor over these years, working with all kinds of people, has been to try to give them the handles they need to find their own answers in the owner's manual so that they're not taking their cues from everything else around them, not even their own personal perceptions, certainly not what their mom or dad or friends or society around them tells them, but from what God says to be true. And that's transformation. Hey, Daniel,
2: as you've worked with leaders, just, you know, anybody going through this process, what are some Uh of the areas where people that you've noticed have just struggled, you know, where there's roadblocks? What were they and how did you get, you know, help people think about how you get around some of those?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a highly conceptual person, which is probably why I write and speak, et cetera. Not everyone is. And, And honestly, early on, John, when I first preached this there were a lot of folks who wanted to go through this, but they just didn't have the handles to figure it out and the, and the perseverance to get through it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've tried to create in the back of the book just the real specific exercises to help people get a handle around it. And then, frankly, honestly, it goes back to the daily thing and, and doing it enough so that they've got it down and it's easily accessible. Um, a positive story, John, on that point, you probably noticed the book opened up with a story about a pastor named Greg, who was standing across the street from the the second bomb that went off at the Boston marathon here, you know, just a year or two ago, Mm -hmm. literally saw all the carnage Mm -hmm. and he's there with his kids. I mean, this is, you know, what this moment, unlike anything you can anticipate. And he tells a story, literally walking away from that scene with fear gripping him he was able to immediately start recounting his theology statement. And I know mm-hmm. for him, that sounds really ethereal pie in the sky. He said that was the game changer for me to come back with truths that I had memorized that wow. made God the trump card in that situation, that made God real in the midst of that crisis. He says was so powerful. And over the next few days, I kept coming back to who is God and who am I? And it gave my family strength. Literally, as I was interviewing him a few days later, uh, the second bomber was loose in his neighborhood. I mean, they had the whole neighborhood on a lockdown, cops everywhere. And he's still just like a a ship sailing Mm. on a calm sea in the middle of a storm because he had done the hard work of finding his answers for himself from the scripture and getting them integrated into his daily thoughts in such a way that it changed the way he responded, even in the midst of that kind of a crisis.
2: Well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, when you have a boat that's in harbor and there's a yeah. storm coming in, what you do is you pull the boat back and you anchor, right? Yeah, yeah. And the storm's gonna, you know, move you around and try to pull you out to sea. But if you ha- if you're anchored well. Uh, you're going to be just safe, even though you're going to get tossed around. And what you're talking about is creating an anchor for yourself through really connecting with who God is, who you are, and what that means to you personally. And, and there, what it also means is, you know, Lord giveth, Lord taketh away. We are yeah. we're going to go through times that are hard for us. as just my well, my m- mere mortal brain. It's hard for me to put in context sometimes.
0: Exactly. And, you know, you quote that verse from Job. I mean, what a classic example. You know, oldest book of the Bible. This guy, you know, typical CEO, you could call him in his own day. I mean, he's yeah. got stuff rolling. He's got his family in order, all his finances. It's the biggest all business crashes. on the planet. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing crashes, but he keeps coming back, right? The Lord give it, the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the... He keeps coming back to what he knows to be true about God. And, of course, the end of it all, as you know, he says, God, I've known you through the hearing of the ear, but now I know you through the seeing of the eye. Through all that, it was all about Job coming down to a deeper applicational knowledge of the one true God. Mm. And that's why that has to be that foundational uh, question for us all, the anchor, the starting point of our life continuity plan.
2: Well, we're going to... Give away a copy of your book, Daniel. If we could get you to sign a copy that we could have, and anybody that comes on the 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 show and Absolutely. leaves a, you a note, and you can, uh, we'd love to have them interact with you. But I want to get this in the hands of people. There'll also, be a link on how to get this. But sure. do you have, you know, this book is fabulous. Do you have another you. book that you would also recommend that that's just something you're reading and that you think would be great to put into other people's hands in addition to yours?
0: Well, you know John, um, I, I most of what I do has to do with the local church and vital renewal, you know, and ultimately a spiritual awakening in our culture. i I dream big. I think that's the game changer. I always say short of revival, we're just running laps in the Titanic in our fancy spandex, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're looking good, feeling good about ourselves, but we don't realize the ship is going down fast, baby. And statistically, it is. I mean, the church in America, a lot of us are in dynamic large churches we don't realize. But, man, the the net reality is we are losing the culture in record fashion. And so there's a a book uh, written by a good friend of mine named Pastor Jim Cimbala. He pastors Mm -hmm. a great church in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He and I travel together on a regular basis speaking to pastors, and it just came out called Storm. And he reflects, first of all, on Hurricane Sandy and how that storm just shut down New York City. And his sense that there is a storm coming to all of us who call ourselves Christians, Hmm. And we need to get ready for it, and get back to the things that are going to create hopefully an environment where we can experience an awakening of the power of the Spirit and the Word of God in our lives. So that's a book I would highly recommend uh, by my my dear brother Jim.
2: Awesome. We will we'll put a link to that too. And you know, as we wrap up here, Daniel, I, please share with people how they can get in touch with you. I know that you've created a uh, you know a small group study with this material that's just yeah. fabulous, and so. Please let people know how to get in touch with you and what you're working on now and how they can interact with you. You bet.
0: Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, we, we have a small group study that correlates with this book because I have found, uh, sometimes the, we've mentioned this already, but the best way to come up with these answers is in community because you're, yeah. you're dialogue with others who are trying to define their theology. And as you know how it is, you think of something, they think of something, we help each other. And so this small group series is about a 10-minute video lesson for me from right here in Colorado, Garden of the God. I mean, it's worth watching just to see the beauty of it all, nothing else, right? But uh, and then it they brought not, it puts them into a a group workbook where they dialogue and they talk about how we're going to find these answers, ending with a, a scripture guided prayer of application. And it takes them through, you know, if they they take it in the nine weeks, uh, nine weeks of doing this together, they could take it slower. It's up to them. We also, as you know, John, have a coaching um, uh, entity along with this called 8Q Coaching. Right. The website there is 8QCoaching.com. Our mutual friend, Michael Fowle, has been very much involved in helping us with that. And you know, for business leaders, for moms, either personal or group coaching to really take some months to go through this process. I also do that with pastors specifically, so that would be another uh, resource. And then, is that our overall,
2: fellowship? Is that what that is?
0: No. That was, so we have three websites. Glad you asked. So our overall ministry is StrategicRenewal.com, and you could go there, and that's kind of the gateway to all that we do. Um, but then we have, and that's kind of our, our focus on church renewal. Then we have the personal renewal element of 8qcoaching.com. That's what we do to help individuals. And then, John, as you've heard me mention, I have a real heart for pastors. You know, Focus, uh, Steve would know this and you would know this as well. Focus estimates that anywhere from 1,500 to 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month in the United States. And so the 6 4 fellowship is just for pastors. And it's based on Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 where it says that the early church leaders gave themselves continually to two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. And again, I believe pastors have become so distracted doing everything else that a whole lot of other people in their church could do uh, that were losing the battle at that point. So pastors all across the country and the world are connecting with each other. Uh, just helping each other become more effective in their commitment to Scripture, their commitment to not only just personal prayer, but leading their churches to become houses of prayer. Because there's never been a revival in history that didn't begin in movements of united prayer. So we we're trying to cultivate that at the local church level through pastors that we just dearly love uh, to connect with. So, yep, that's us.
1: This is a subject that is dear to John's and my heart because so many people in this world just have a deep emptiness, even when from an external perspective, they're very successful. If what John shared today resonated with you, go to our website, eternalleadership.com slash 022, episode 22. So eternalleadership.com slash 022, and there we'll have links to Daniel's book, his website, a link to sign up to his e-devotional, all that and more. Just go to eternalleadership.com slash 022. If you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, there's also a link embedded in this MP3. If what John and I have shared on this show has ever touched you in any way, please shoot us a message through Facebook. Facebook.com slash eternal leadership, or email me, Steve at eternal or hit us up on Twitter at eternal leaders. We love hearing your stories, what you like, potential guests, and when you think we've been missing the mark. This show is about you in our audience, and we want to know if we need to make any course corrections. So thanks. Special thanks to our intern, Justin Jeffrey, for his editing and production help on today's episode. Next time on Eternal Leadership, the coach of executive coaches, Fran Lamatina.
0: There was a study done um, at Stanford Business School. Their advisory council was asked, what's the number one skill that people need to be successful in life? And this advisory council to the Stanford Business School said self-awareness. Now, I would have thought they would have said financial acumen or, you know, they just get things done, whatever. But they said self-awareness is the number one skill that propels people to success.
1: Fran and John talk a lot about emotional intelligence, a subject that I'm really pouring myself into, so you won't want to miss that episode. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.